This episode of Badasses in Tech is brought to you by Magic Mind, the productivity drink designed to boost your energy, memory, and focus. I'm your host, Summer Falgiano, and you're tuned in to Badasses in Tech. Today, we're rejoined by Samir Vasavada, co-founder and CEO of Vise. Samir is serving on his mission to provide everyone access to financial opportunities. In this episode, Samir discusses Vise's rapid growth, how he's bringing equity to a global market, and why technology is key to helping close the financial access gap. Yeah, so just a quick recap on like what Vise does, um, because I think that might be helpful kind of going into it. Basically, what we're doing is we're building software for financial advisors to help enable them to grow and scale their practice by delivering their clients the best investment advice. So our system basically helps them um, analyze the client's investment needs, how much money they have to invest, their goals, their net worth, to build a highly personalized portfolio of individual stocks, bonds, other assets, individually tailored to that client's needs. We then provide the tools to automate the management of the portfolios, active rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, with the icing on the cake as we call portfolio intelligence, or otherwise intelligence that helps tell the story behind the portfolio. So the way you can kind of think about it is the advisor um, is the relationship with their client and um, everything else is kind of helped done by our software. So we can uh, we can help support the advisors are giving their clients better, more personalized investment advice, and the advisor can focus on their client relationships. But uh, you know, long-term vision is that it helps kind of close the financial access gap. So if you think about the like the access to investment advice the super rich have and the most sophisticated investors, we want to kind of democratize that for everyone. So level the playing field in the sense that you know whether you're a you know you know ten thousand dollar client versus a hundred million dollar client, you have access to investment advice that can get you closer to kind of accomplishing your goals and closer to financial freedom. That's so important. And I don't know if it's me personally, I have uh, just become very interested in investments. And I'm also talking to a lot more younger people who they're also trying to figure out this world of, of investing. And to your point, you know, these would, these are people who fall on just like the regular everyday, more on this, the maybe $10,000 scale. Um, so what do you think is that, do you think that there is just more people getting interested in investing or why are we seeing such a, an increasing trend in interest here? Yeah. Um, you know, most wealth is generated by kind of compounded returns and, it's like the biggest wealth generator ever. Um, mm-hmm. And for the longest time, um, people didn't really know uh, that like that was how you generated wealth. But I think over the last kind of 10 or so years, more and more research has kind of come out to show and has been available to kind of mainstream everyday people that you know if you invest your money in the markets and you do it in a relatively passive you know, indexed way, um, you will be able to generate a significant amount of wealth over time, right? As you kind of start to save towards that. Right. And like, that wasn't really commonly known by most people. And then if you have the technology layer on top of it, which is, um, you know, mass distribution of this information, YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and, um, you know, other places, and then personal financial management apps on top of that, starting mm-hmm. to Robinhood and Wealthfront and um, you know traditional ways to learn about investing. 
um, it's become kind of more top of mind for most people. So it plays into this general narrative, though, that although people have all of these you know, resources to learn about it and now realize it's important, they still don't know how to manage their portfolio with all these resources. They still don't know what to do, what you yeah. know, path to take. So they need a human that can kind of help guide them, right? Which is why we believe financial advisors are so important and will still continue to be around. And it's also one of the biggest kind of markets in the world because you know, money is a very emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And Financial advisors are very much like therapists or marriage counselors or, um, you know, emotionally oriented people to kind of help these clients work out, you know, the life path they need to take. That's a great way of putting that. And yeah, to your point, I mean, these are, are people who are seeking advice and counsel for maybe they're having a baby or maybe they're getting married or maybe they're trying to buy their first home and the the vastness of those big life changes, if you're doing that on your own, you feel you're very insecure. You're like, am I doing the right thing? Am I talking to the right person? Is this the right area that I should be focused on? Am I, am I the right person to be doing this? So, um, is that something that y'all kind of facilitate as well? Yeah. I mean, we, we help the advisor do a better job at that. We help the advisor, um, you know, spend less time on the things that they weren't as good at, like building and managing portfolios, mm-hmm. uh, and help them spend more time on things that they're great at that you know kind of fit into that superpower of theirs, which is managing their client relationships to help them, you know, decide when they want to send their kid to college and mm-hmm. you know, how to stay for it, or when they should buy that house or you know that second vacation home or um, whatever it might be, and serve as that advisor, not as the person doing all of the, you know, grunt work in the, mm-hmm. in the Yeah. Well, and uh, you said something and it's, it resonated with me and I know you're very much a role model in this notion of non-traditional career paths or non-traditional uh, wealth generation. You have a really interesting story. You and your co-founder uh, really started getting into this work, I believe, at, you know, 13 when you were going to school. So is there is there a little bit that you can share about uh, that story and, and your personal history, really taking this this idea, bringing it to life, and not only that, scaling it to what you were talking about earlier, you know, growing it from five to now almost a hundred and plus. So would love to kind of have you take us down memory lane and, and share us, share your story with us. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like, you know, even the progress we've made now is great, but like we've far from one, right? Like we have a long, long way to go. I think we're, you know, 1% the way there is the reality to it. Um, so it's a, it's been a fun journey, you know, through this point, but we um we kind of like I don't know some people have like a passion to do something like some people like have something they like to do is you know a hobby on the side something that excites them like I was kind of one of those rare instances where it was like a calling like I had nothing else in life I wanted to do other than this and there was like nothing that was going to get in my way um, absolutely nothing and you know I luckily was able to find Runic um, you know the two of us went to a summer camp together. And uh, it was like we were doing like college courses over the summer. And we were both from the Midwest and there wasn't all too much to do in the Midwest. It was a, you know, very much not a focus on starting tech companies. And 
you know, we uh, were like, well, we've got some spare time. Like, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's invest our energy into, uh, you know, at that point in time, it was building apps for small businesses. And let's try and uh, build a lot of apps for small businesses. And we started doing that and found some early success there. Um, and Runic had the opportunity to do some AI research. And we we're like, well, what if we, uh, what if we applied AI to building apps? And that was our first kind of big startup project. It turned out to been able to work because of how technical of a problem it was, um, but it led us into finance. It led us into this idea that it was one of the biggest, most important industries in the world, and that there was very little technology, very little automation that was you know there to support it. And we had the opportunity to kind of build that. And we we're like, well, there's nothing else we should be doing other than building it. That's amazing, and I can only imagine the maybe challenges or, you know, like you said, it's, it's you and everyone else around you going to school, uh, pursuing maybe college or, or whatever else they're trying to do. And you're going against the green. So how, how was that? Like, were, were there ever moments where you're like, Oh my gosh, am I, am I doing the right thing? Or how, how was that um, like internal narrative for you throughout this process? What kept you going? Yeah. You know, like, I would say that if I didn't keep going through that point in time, I wouldn't have kept going now, right? Because like, even going through this point, like startups were really, really hard, right? You're dealing with so many problems, so many different types of, um, you know, constant changing um, issues, setbacks. And like, you got to have a lot of grit. And like, if you don't go through the shit to begin with, you're not going to kind of be able to put it into perspective. So I'm glad I didn't really give up. Um, I think that there were a, a lot. Um, I think it's no different than uh, like everyone telling you, look, like this isn't what you should be doing. You should be going to school like everyone else. You should be getting good. You should be, uh, you know, taking the path. Like you're take, thinking about how much risk you're taking on. Um, and like sometimes like in order to be successful, you just gotta be bet against the consensus and be right. And I think that was kind of the bet I was taking, like I'm sure it could have gone wrong. Um, the way I thought about it was, look, if it goes wrong and like none of it works, I will have learned something and I will have been better off for it. And I will have gotten closer to the direction of like knowing what I wanna do, um, which I was pretty certain I knew what I wanted to do, but you know, for whatever reason that wasn't the case. Um, I would have been able to validate it or invalidate it. And it was just something fun to do. So. Yeah. Well, and there's the bonus. I mean, I think that's another thing too. Work is not always fun. And the fact that you not only were able to build this company, do everything kind of, like I said, against the grain, you're enjoying it, you're loving it. And I think that's kind of the the ultimate dream. We're all kind of working towards that. So that's awesome. And there was something you mentioned about almost like maybe the secrets of, of startups. Um, and, you know, you have kind of evolved, as I understand, throughout the, the company's evolution. So have so has you and, and your role. Are there any, you know, tips or lessons that you've learned along the way that maybe uh, others out there who are interested in building their own startup or getting involved in this industry that they might be able to, to learn from? Yeah, I mean, do as much as you can 
with as little as possible as early as possible. Um, I think that everyone believes, everyone says to themselves, they believe like, oh, if I had this thing, I would be able to grow this much faster. I would have been able to build this better product for my customer, or I would have been able to, you know, whatever it might be, right? And I think if you put that out of your mind and you focus on just the primary objective, um, the singular thing you need to be successful and try and do it with as little as possible, you will be able to get there faster and you'll be able to, you know, do more than you would if you were able to make that excuse to yourself that you needed all of these people and you needed all these resources. Um, because oftentimes that kind of just slows you down. Right. Or you you kind of chase something that puts you in the completely opposite, you know, direction. For me, that's something I struggle with is, okay, there's so many options. There's so many things that I could do. You know, let me try this one. Let me try that one. So I'd love, you know, do you have like a, a method or a way that you kind of identified no matter what, this is the goal, this is what I have to do. And like, this is my direction. I, I think because of the the access of technology, social media, all that stuff, it's it almost seems like the options are are uh, overwhelming in like a debilitating sense. It seems like you have kept your eye on the prize no matter what. Um, so I'm curious, like, how do you identify what that is? Yeah, it's hard. Um, basically, the exercise I went through. Um, I did two things, both from a personal standpoint and then also from a like a business standpoint. And the thing the thing is, is like I screwed up on this for a long time. I'm probably still screwing up on it, but like we're getting just that much closer to like really, really nailing it. Um, I did it from a business, from a from a work standpoint. I wrote out, I was like, okay, if Vise is successful in 10 years. Like, what does Vise need to look like? What are we doing? What are we solving for our customer? What is, what are we working towards? Like, what is the bigger plan? And then in my personal life, I was thinking, okay, like when I'm like 30 years old or 31 or whatever it might be, like, what is, what do I want my life to look like? Like in everything, right? And every decision I make, everything I do has to somehow layer up into that thing. Right. So if I'm spending time on something that isn't really related to, you know, how I want to like what my North Star is, I probably shouldn't be spending time on that. And like the reality is that sometimes the North Star can't change, um, but it's really important to like, you know, spend the time to really think through what is that North Star that you want um, and everything should work into it. I, that. That is something that I think all of us need to need to learn from, and and yeah, it's it's easy to be, I guess, uh, short term oriented. Um, so the fact that you know you're constantly thinking, it sounds like ten years ahead, and and always looking forward, um, it's like a muscle that I don't think a lot of people are flexing or or, or know how to flex. So, um, and me in particular, that that's something that you've helped me with. So thank you. I'm learning so much. Um, but kind of on this on this path of what's next or you know th this 10-year plan what what is your 10-year plan yeah for the business it is like transform investment management and by doing that um you know creating a platform that gives all investors 
like regardless of age, net worth, you know, criteria, access to all investment classes, all asset classes. So public markets, private markets, crypto, everything um, to be able to be, uh, to, to be able to have highly personalized um, and automated investment advice in a very scalable way. So you can think about it as one platform that's able to manage all assets for all investors um, done in a personalized way um, at scale for everyone. That's awesome. And I know you recently moved from the Bay Area to New York. Is, it's, is that something that uh, is helping you kind of fuel this 10-year plan? What, what is it about New York? I'm sure there's obvious reasons, but I would love for you to just talk a little bit about, uh, about that location, especially for those who might be interested in joining the financial industry, maybe even working for Vice next year or in 10 years. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, like, I just, New York is just such a better city than San Francisco. It's like, it's, you know, there's great restaurants. It's, it's a bunch of fun. No, but the, it wasn't actually the reason why. Um, it was because we're building a finance company, um, a financial technology company. And the financial technology DNA is more so in New York than it is in San Francisco. But I would say that it was a dicey time to have made the decision to move because the pandemic had just hit. Um, I think was, uh, I think was, how do I put this? Like, we weren't really in New York, right? People weren't really in the office. We were all over the place um, because of kind of the unique circumstances. But I will say, if I had to start a company over again, I wouldn't start it in New York. I think as great as New York is. Um, and the reason why is because San Francisco has a culture uh, around entrepreneurship, whereas, you know, New York is very much getting there, but it doesn't have like a singular focus around entrepreneurship and, and startups. I think that, you know, San Francisco has that culture. And more importantly, there's such little to do in San Francisco. that you're just constantly focused on your business and there's no other distractions to, uh, to get you caught up. Um, that you know presents themselves in New York. Yeah, that's that's fair, and I'm. It sounds like your experience in San Francisco lended itself nicely to the grit that you have and this you know relentless focus and and helped you not only with these entrepreneurial skills but uh, the tech skills and and then it sounds like you were able to take that and and run with it with what you're doing in in New York. Um, tell us a little bit more about your team. And, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. We're still, uh, in my opinion, very much in, into it uh, two and a half years later. Um, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of stories around, you know, people getting burnt out. Even I think recently, like C-level executives are starting to just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, but for you and for your company, it seems to be the complete opposite. Um, so I'd love to kind of understand how, what you think you guys have been doing to set the stage here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely wouldn't say we're the complete opposite in the sense that like, regardless of the company, I think people will get burnt out in the sense that like, it's really hard to be working in isolation sometimes, um, not having all too much exposure to other people every single day, um, and I think that could kind of take a toll on you. And I think that plus the you know outrageous financial markets that we've seen um, without too much of a reason for it, 
um, has just caused a lot of swirl, this kind of idea of the great resignation, whereas like more and more people are like leaving their jobs, um, expecting to kind of find something better. And I think that it's really just a byproduct of how hard it is to build a company in this environment and you know build a culture in this environment when there's just so much uncertainty and there's in some sense a lack of structure. Um, and that's yeah, hard. Like, you know, it, it, it's not going to just affect the, uh, it's not going to just affect the, you know, junior employees or, you know, it's going to affect everyone. It's going to affect the C-levels. It's going to affect the, uh, everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, so two points on that, the, the exercise that you shared with us about really understanding what is it that is driving you? What, how do I reach that goal that is just weighing on me and my soul? I think everyone needs to do that exercise to avoid maybe getting burnt out as quick or uh, avoid maybe making, wanting to make that decision, right. To, to kind of swirl. Um, so I I just completely forgot. Yeah. (laughs) I had a second point. It'll come to me. Like you kind of need to know just what game you're playing, right? Like if you're operating without a direction, you're not going to know what to do. And the second you get frustrated, the second you, you know, you know, have like that adversity and you don't know which direction you're trying to go, then the fact that you have to go through that adversity in order to work towards that long-term goal, um, because you don't have that direction, you're going to just quit and find that like you can't be successful at anything if you just give up. Yeah. Well, and that made me remember my second point, which is the isolation piece. So I experience this all the time. There's so many, there's so many uh, decisions. There's so many thoughts that go into my head every single day. Sometimes I'm, I almost allow some of those thoughts to be like fear-based. You know, you don't have someone next to you to say, does this look right? Does this sound right? What, what, what does this even mean? It's very much the person. So, uh, I could imagine uh, even more people are feeling that burnout because it's just them and it's really just them trying to figure out, am I doing this right? Or, you know, am I doing it completely? Like, am I even the right person to do this? Um, So curious if you have any advice or any words to share for, for people who might be experiencing that. Cause I, I can't imagine I'm, I'm alone in that one. Yeah. I mean, I did our best to kind of, create a solve for this within Vise, which we called like a house system. So we built basically mini communities within Vise for no other purpose than, you know, to bring people together. And I think that the challenge, like, especially if you look at us, like from an evolution standpoint, um, like we've evolved in communities, right. And like a small group of people um, relatively that, you know, can support each other or grow with each other. And, the challenge with isolation is it takes away from that community, right? And if you don't have that community, it's so hard to um, to know what to do or how to act or like, you know, how to function. And I think that's what, what, what kind of happened is that, you know, community dissipated over the last, you know, couple of years and we need to bring it back. 
And, and you're doing that. You're, you're facilitating that, especially kind of thinking about what we were talking about at the beginning, helping build those relationships. Um, so it, it's crucial. And especially now more than, more than ever, we all need just a little bit of social interaction and why not go talk to someone who can help you generate your wealth? Makes exactly. sense to me. Exactly. Makes sense to awesome. me too. <laughs> well, Samir, it has been wonderful talking with you and, you know, just, I, it's a treat for me to be able to have you back on and to hear how things have changed just in such a short amount of time. I know you mentioned you have only kind of scratched the surface. There's, there's still so much left for, for you and the team to do. Um, so any, any last words or anything that you'd like to share with us and, or ways that people can, you know, get in touch or engage with, with the platform? No, like if you are interested in learning more or interested in a career option, you know, visit buys.com. I'm Summer Falgiano, and this is Badasses in Tech. To learn more, check out our website at badassesintech.com and join our community to be the first to know when new episodes drop. This programming is made possible by GrowthStack Media. We're always looking for new guests and sponsors, so if you're interested in getting involved, email us at badassesintech at gmail.com. We appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. <laughs>